Thanks so much for joining us today on Leesburg Community Church's podcast. If you'd like more information about our church, including directions and service times, please visit leesburgcc.org. On our website, you can also find notes and daily devotionals based on this teaching. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you liked today's message. It is Resurrection Sunday. He is risen. You can say it at home. He is risen indeed. That is the best news in the world for a world that is looking for good news. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the best and only hope for a world that is currently looking for hope. Christ is risen from the dead, and those who believe in him have their sins forgiven and have the promise from God of everlasting life. Why? Because he is risen. Death, the thing that men and women fear the most, could not hold him. Jesus conquered death when God raised him from the dead. Jesus said in John chapter 10, verse 17 and 18, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. He is risen. Our sermon this morning is titled, Seven Things Lost But Found. Seven Things Lost But Found. Please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. As we look at the most important event in the history of the world, and I say that because that's what the Apostle Paul believed. He said that the gospel that he preached, the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus the Christ from the dead, is of first importance. So let's look at our text in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 26, where we will see seven things that would be lost if the resurrection of Christ did not occur. Chapter 15, verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, last of all, As to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you 
believed. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified that God has raised Christ, whom he did not raise if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. But for as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Let's pray together. Even though we're not here in the same room, we can still unite together in prayer. Let's ask God to give us understanding and to teach us this morning from his word. Heavenly Father, we are thankful that Jesus Christ has destroyed the last enemy, which is death. We are thankful that Christ offers us hope in himself, hope in his sinless life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Thank you, Lord, for the gift of life, abundant life, because of what Christ has done. Illumine our hearts, Lord, from your word this morning. Help us to hear and understand your word and to trust in you. Amen. Tim Keller has said that if Jesus rose from the dead, you have to accept everything he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? If Jesus rose from the dead, that changes everything for everyone for all time. But if he didn't rise from the dead, we need not pay any attention to him. But since he was raised from the dead, and that is the clear testimony of Paul, then that resurrection brings us everlasting life and a joy that is unshakable. It's unshakable because it isn't built on the foundation of our good works, our accomplishments. Rather, it is built on the perfect finished work of Christ, who proved that he was the Son of God by rising from the dead. Romans 1, 3 and 4 puts it like this. Jesus who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power.
according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. So we see that the resurrection of Christ is the proof that Jesus Christ is in fact the Son of God. I'm going to move fairly quickly through these first 11 verses of our text, not because they're not important, they are, but because the heart of what I want to share this morning is in the second part of our text in verses 12 through 26. Paul begins chapter 15 by reminding the Corinthians of the gospel they have believed. The gospel that Paul preached and they believed has not changed. And Paul did not invent this gospel. He delivered the message that he received directly from God. This is the same gospel the Corinthians received. That's a past effect in which they stand. That's their current reality and by which they are being saved. It's in the perfect tense, meaning that the work of Christ in the past has an ongoing daily effect in the believer's life that lasts for eternity. This is true for all who have a genuine faith in Jesus. You'll notice a phrase in verse 3, unless you believed in vain. Don't have a lot of time to spend on that. You could spend a whole sermon on it. But our position in this church is that any genuine believer cannot lose their salvation. Jesus said it in John chapter 10, verse 28. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. Then Paul gets into the specific content of the gospel. The essential gospel is clear. It's historical, and it contains particular facts. They're not difficult to understand. Even a child might understand them. And they are, according to verse 3, of first importance. There are four crucial facts about the gospel that Paul lists. First, Christ died for our sins. Secondly, he was buried. Third, he was raised from the dead on the third day. And fourth, all this was done according to the Old Testament scriptures. So we'll take these briefly, one at a time. First, Christ died for our sins. Christ died for the express purpose of forgiving our sins. He had no sin of any kind for which he should die. The wages of our sin is the death of Christ. And he died to pay the penalty that you and I could not pay. Secondly, he was buried. Christ's death was not a parlor trick or an illusion. His body was treated just like any other corpse by Roman soldiers and officials and by his friends. He was killed and he was buried. Thirdly, he was raised. The tomb, sealed for three days and guarded by Roman soldiers, was empty. Then Jesus appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, his disciples, and then to five hundred people at one time. And Paul makes the point that most of those people are still alive. He's saying, in essence, 
If you don't believe He rose from the dead, go talk to these people. They saw the risen Christ. So the resurrection of Jesus is a historical event. It took place in time and space. It was a bodily resurrection. And the fact that it was a bodily resurrection has implications for every human life. Fourth, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus happened according to the Scriptures. Christ's death was according to God's redemptive plan and was foretold in the Old Testament Scriptures. Jesus said to two disciples, after his resurrection, on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24, these words, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. This was the greatest Bible study of all time, taught by the Lord Jesus himself. The gospel events prophesied in the scripture have massive implications for believers' lives and are intended to be part of the past, present, and future realities of a Christian's salvation experience. Because of Christ's work, our past, our present, and our future are secure if we have faith in him. Our past is settled because our sins are forgiven. The scripture says he removes them as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered again. Our present is secure because we stand firmly in gospel forgiveness and we hold fast to God because God holds fast to us. The gospel enables us to face every fear in this life, including something like COVID-19, because death has been defeated by the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And thirdly, our future is certain. Not because of works that we have done, but because of what Christ has done. Stephen Um in his commentary on 1 Corinthians put it this way. The resurrection is clear evidence of Christ's death-conquering work on our behalf. Look at Christ and you will see your future. So the gospel of Christ his life, his death, his resurrection, is the only message in the world that can carry the weight of sin and defeat death and deliver to all who believe everlasting, abundant life. Now, let's look at the seven things that would be lost if Christ was not resurrected. And we'll find them in verses 12 through 19 of chapter 15. Evidently, there were people coming into the Corinthian church who did not believe in the possibility of anyone being raised from the dead. There was a Jewish sect called the Sadducees that did not believe that a bodily resurrection was possible. And there's another difficulty that Paul was up against. In Greek thought, the spirit or the soul was considered to be good and the body was considered to be intrinsically evil. This thought process had crept into the church, leading to a denial of the possibility of bodily resurrection. The thinking was unbiblical, 
So Paul tells them what the implication of no resurrection is. Paul's first argument against their false belief is that if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, there are some very important, in fact, crucial things that would not be true. They're in verses 14 through 19. I'm going to list them, seven of them. If Christ has not been raised from the dead, our preaching is in vain. Your faith is in vain. The disciples have lied about God. Your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Those who have already died have perished and have no hope. And we Christians are of all people most to be pitied. So we begin to see how crucial the resurrection of Christ is. The resurrection is the essential truth without which Paul's ministry and our faith would be in vain. It would be meaningless. In the Apostles' Creed, the early church and many churches today say this, I believe in the resurrection of the body. This is basic Christian teaching. And the resurrection of Christ has stunning implications for everyone who believes. But we believe not only Christ is raised from the dead, that because of that, all believers will be raised in the future at the appointed time. This will be accomplished when Christ returns for his church. So let's follow Paul as he walks us step by step through the implications of the denial of the resurrection. The first two are in verse 14 of our text. First, Paul's preaching, by which they came to faith in Jesus, would have been in vain because Paul's preaching is based on the resurrected Christ. When Christ confronted Paul, who was then called Saul, on the road to Damascus, he was confronted with Jesus risen from the dead. This is the seed and the foundation of Paul's preaching. Second implication, their faith is in vain. If no one is raised, not even Christ, then their faith is meaningless. It's to no avail. Why worship a dead Savior? Thirdly, in verse 13, you'll see a third implication of no resurrection. It would mean that Paul and the other apostles have lied about God because they taught that God raised Christ from the dead. Listen to the Apostle Peter's sermon from Acts 2, beginning in verse 22. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. If God didn't raise him up, then Paul and the other apostles have lied about God and therefore cannot be trusted. The last four of these absurd results of their false belief are found in verses 17 and 18. Fourth, if Christ is not raised, your faith is futile. Why bother to worship someone who said that they would be raised on the third day if he wasn't? Remember in our study of Mark's gospel a few weeks ago, what Jesus said in chapter 8, verse 31. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things 
and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly, not in a parable. Fifth implication. This one is devastating. If Christ is not raised, you are still in your sins. The book of Romans tells us that the wages of sin is death. So they are still in their sins. And if so, they have nothing to look forward to but death. There's a lot of focus right now on mortality rates because of COVID-19, and that's understandable. But the mortality rate is the same in wartime and in peacetime and even during a global pandemic. Mortality rate is 100%. Ever since Adam and Eve fell into sin, the judgment of God is that all die because of their sin. So there is a disease that is far more deadly than COVID-19. It's the disease of sin, which affects not a percentage of people, but all people, except for one, except for one. The sixth implication, verse 18. Paul says, if Christ is not risen, then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Fallen asleep is just a euphemism for saying that they died. If Christ is not raised, then those who put their faith in Christ and have since that time died have perished. They have no hope. It would mean that the Apostle Paul, the other apostles, Augustine, Martin Luther, Dwight Moody, Charles Spurgeon, Billy Graham, and every other believer throughout history would spend eternity in torment with no hope. They would remain unforgiven if Christ did not rise from the dead. Seventh, if Christ is not raised, Christians are of all people most to be pitied. Without salvation from sin, without a resurrected Christ, Christianity would be pointless. John MacArthur put it this way. Without the resurrection, we would have no savior, no forgiveness, no gospel, no meaningful faith, no life, and no hope of any of those things. To have hoped in Christ for this life only would be to teach, preach, suffer, sacrifice, and work entirely for nothing. If Christ is still dead, then he not only cannot help us in the life to come, but he cannot help us now. Our faith makes no sense unless Christ has defeated sin and death. We were created to experience abundant life, but there is no abundant life without the resurrected Christ. But Paul doesn't stop his thought here. He preaches the risen Christ, and he responds to these seven false beliefs. His preaching is not in vain, but has borne great fruit. These people have come to faith in Jesus. Their faith is not in vain, but is bringing with it eternal life. They have not misrepresented God, but have told the truth about God, raising Jesus up from the dead. Their faith is not futile. It is effective, and its result is everlasting, abundant life. 
They are not still in their sins, but have been forgiven by God. Those believers who have died will not stay in the grave with no hope, but they will rise at the appointed time. And Christians are not most to be pitied, because God has loved them with an everlasting love and given meaning to their lives. Christ has conquered sin and death, no doubt. How? By living a sinless life, by dying as the perfect sacrifice to pay the penalty for my sin, by being buried in a tomb for three days, and by rising from the dead bodily as the only person ever to defeat death. Theologian Eric Sauer wrote this, The present age is Easter time. It begins with the resurrection of the Redeemer and ends with the resurrection of the redeemed. Between lies the spiritual resurrection of those called into life by Christ. The first Easter he's speaking of is, of course, the resurrection of Christ from the dead. We live in the power of that resurrection. But the resurrection was not an event that would never be repeated. Christ rising up from the dead alive is the first fruits of many who will rise up with him. Now, what about this term, first fruits, that we see in verse 20 of our text? In those days, when a crop was just about ready, a sample of the crop would be brought in to show what kind of quality or of crop that the owner could expect. And if the first fruits were good, that meant that the crop would be good also. In the case of Jesus as our first fruits, his life was perfect in every way, in word and in thought and in deed, when he was raised from the dead. He had a glorified physical body, and so will all who believe in him. He's the first fruits, the perfect crop. When we are raised, we are raised with him. When will this happen? When he returns. Verse 23. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father, after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Jesus' resurrection was not simply being raised from the dead, as was Lazarus. Lazarus was raised from the dead, but then was subject to decay and death in the future. Jesus' resurrection is entirely different. He came back with a new kind of body, a glorified body that is not subject to decay, a new kind of body given by God, able to live eternally in the presence of God. And he did that on our behalf so that we could do the same, so that we who have faith in him might receive new and glorified bodies when he returns. Bodies that are not subject to sin and disease and decay. Listen to these words from 2 Corinthians 4. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus 
and bring us with you into his presence. And by the way, in his presence, there is fullness of joy. Psalm 16, 11. Resurrection from the dead is not something you can do for yourself. This new life, this everlasting life, this new and glorified body that is not subject to decay is a gift from God to all of those who put their faith in Jesus the Christ. Jesus said this, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this personally? What Christ did is so remarkable that it demands a response. Everyone in the world must come to terms with the message of the cross of Christ and his rising from the dead. After all, no one else has ever defeated death but Christ. I mentioned earlier the mortality rate in the world at all times is 100%. God said to Adam and Eve, if you eat of it, you will surely die. And ever since then, that's been the case. But there is hope of everlasting life for everyone who will put their trust in Christ. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon, in one of his Easter sermons, which I read this week, said this, Most certainly our ultimate resurrection rests here. For if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by the spirit that dwells in you. If Christ be not risen, then we shall not rise. But if he is risen, then they who are asleep in Christ have not perished, but in their flesh shall surely behold their God. A reference to Job. How will we rejoice that beyond a doubt it is established that now is Christ risen from the dead? Do you believe this? Do you know personally that your sins are forgiven? Is your past, is your present, is your future secure? That can only be accomplished through faith in Christ Jesus. Now, the evidence for the resurrection of Christ is overwhelming. But why were the coming of Jesus and his sinless life and his death and his burial and his resurrection necessary? Because we have all sinned. And the penalty for that sin is death. But the gift of God is everlasting life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. If you have placed your faith in Jesus then you can rejoice today. He is risen indeed. But if you've never done that before, this is what you can do. It's what you ought to do. Repent of your sin. Turn away from your sin. All have sinned. What has it ever gained you? What will it gain you for eternity? So turn away from your sin. The Bible calls it repenting. And then place your trust in Christ who lived a life, a sinless life, that you and I could not live, and then sacrificed his life to pay a penalty that you and I could not pay, the penalty of death, 
and then who rose from the dead to gain a victory over sin and death that you and I could never have won. Here's how the scripture says it. But to all who receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Salvation from sin and everlasting life comes to those who believe in his name, to those who trust in him and him alone. So I beseech you, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, a day when we celebrate and are reminded not only of the death of Christ, but three days later, the resurrection of Christ from the dead. And Lord, those of us who know you, we rejoice in this day. We rejoice in what God has done. It is magnificent in our eyes. And Lord, if there are some with us today who do not know you, have never placed their trust in you, would you begin to draw them even now to yourself so that they might repent of sin and put their trust in Christ and Christ alone for the forgiveness of their sin and for everlasting life in the presence of God. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.